It's only entertainment. Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Duquesne, Capital Markets Analyst at the Most of Your Cannabis Business Podcast. With me today, Chris Chiari of 420 Hotels. Yes, sir. Chris, thanks for being with us on the Talking Hedge. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, what is 420 Hotels? 420 Hotels is now the first hotel in America that is now licensed to host on-site cannabis hospitality as an amenity to overnight hospitality. Okay. Where are you doing that? There's certain places uh, in Washington State where I'm at. It's a Class C felony to maintain and operate a marijuana lounge. So there's no smoking anywhere. Pop-ups are okay, but uh, permanent facilities, not so much. So where are you able to kind of get this out there? I am in the heart of Denver, Colorado, at a property which has a fortuitous address, 420 East 11th Avenue. has curb appeal. I actually tried to buy it 12 years ago and missed out on the property by two and a half weeks. I've now owned it for just shy of five years. The hotel's been open for 10 years. But my intention should never have been a surprise. The very first news article that came out two weeks after I closed said, Buyer nabs Capitol Hill Mansion with marijuana in mind. So the intention has been there since the beginning. In fact, it goes back to the first day I set eyes on the property. And I said, I want to turn you into a marijuana bed and breakfast. That was an idea that the world had to catch up to. Uh, What's nice is the state of Colorado has been very proactive in creating mature policy around cannabis licensing from the retail and vertically integrated markets we've created that have now opened up to delivery and cultivators and manufactured products that aren't vertically integrated and this mature. But that last final mile of cannabis normalization and legalization has always been hospitality, which was left to the side at the beginning. It took nine years to finally get at the state level policy, and Denver last year moved forward and created local policy. This is a cigar lounge for cannabis. The reason I use that term is because the policies that dictate smoking in an indoor space at Denver's level is international standards, and those standards then were a place and a template to start defining a business model, recognizing that there was already um, relatable or similar policy. And so that's what this is, this is a cigar lounge. So Denver finally created a legal path, the state created a legal path where a waiver or an amendment to the Clean Indoor Air Act, as long as you meet movement standards of how you clean and purify that air in an enclosed space in a smoke-filled room, you can then proceed to licensing. So this is not cannabis-friendly. This is legal, licensed, on-site, recognized consumption inside of a commercial property. So I want to touch on that that concept of the Clean Air Indoor Act because it, it, employees aren't supposed to uh, be in a, in a smoky environment or whatever. But yet there's cigar bars. Like El Gaucho in Seattle is a cigar bar. Nobody complains, and so there's no issues. How do you get around the issue? In Washington State, the regulators back in 2015, when they placed that Class C felony on lounges, wanted the airflow to be the equivalent of a 747 jet engine. So that's obviously not going to happen, uh, completely unrealistic. Well, my air system will be better than the air system on a commercial airline. Because I can tell you very easily how much air is recirculated in airlines, about 50%. And right now, for a smoke-filled room, the standards do require 100% of the air to be fresh air. But international standards were modified two years ago. And so though the uh, movement of air is a 100x higher than normal commercial airflow in a mature bureaucracy like Denver, in this case, that you have both airflow but then recirculation. 
and international standards, which if it, most people will recognize that cigar lounges stopped being built a little over a decade ago. They stopped being built because international standards came in, up this from 0.6 CFM cubic feet per minute per person to 60, and required that all that air be fresh air. And it's not so much that you can't build a system that can move that much air, you can move and build a system that moves that much air, but can you heat it and cool it? And so in the extremes in Colorado, where it's 100 degrees in the summer and it's minus 6 in the winter, pulling all that heat, adding all that heat while moving all that fresh air, that, the operating cost, becomes the big hurdle. Two years ago, international standards were modified, and so they allow now amendment to allow some recirculation of air as long as you purify and scrub that air. And so that modification's opened up a space where a number of municipalities have started to recognize and license new cannabis, uh, new cigar lounges. If you're in a jurisdiction where you've seen a new cigar lounge open up in the last 12 to 18 months, you're likely in a place that might be well positioned for future, at least local standards that are defined around what cannabis hospitality is going to look like. That makes a lot more sense because I saw a lot of hookah lounges close, and that's obviously the regulatory risk. It wasn't a business risk that they weren't making money, but it was this change in airflow. Right. Well, if you already are operating a licensed business and there's significant change to your local rules and regulations around airflow, you're usually grandfathered in. So likely it might have been a business model that might or a location that didn't work. How many restaurants work in one part of town and you move it into another part and it doesn't work. So business shows that sometimes location really is a key and core to what you're building and whether or not its long-term prospects are sound. I've got the opinion that um, cannabis lounges are going to be the, the window into the soul of the community. As soon as they can see... The, the lack of nefarious activities and how normal it is, that's really going to just change everybody's opinion and really kind of just normalize it and allow uh, operators to do whatever they want. There doesn't need to be this windowless right. strip club effect. Right. Uh, it could just be a, a cafe. Well, my windows will be opaque because the rules do yep. require right. that someone can't look in or walk past and see what's happening inside. So we do still have rules like that that maybe become barriers or burdens. But the fact that there's now a path, here's the big question. What is my goal? And you asked that. Well, it's a 420 hotels. This is the normalization and the destigmatization of cannabis consumption and possession in the most mature and um, defined business that I could piece together. I own a hotel. We cash flow and operate overnight hospitality. I have food and beverage because we're a bed and breakfast, but I just did also open our tavern license just open to the public. So I have a bar on this property, and then because of the way we're structured and licensing through a different corporate entity and a different portion of this commercial property is this new tenant, which will be our cannabis hospitality lounge. So finding a way to get these um, non-complementary businesses to cohabitate, at least in a commercial space, for me, became core to the pursuit because normalization destigmatization does not happen. If you go to PattersonInn.com, you'll see the property. It looks like a castle. Red French Chateau Castle in Denver. Could have been the Cannabis Castle. The cannabis Castle doesn't necessarily move this conversation forward. And as much as I'm just trying to build a business, I'm also trying to build a business that feeds off of a big portion of the culture of cannabis reform has been that community engagement, that showing people that there is not this nefarious element to people getting together and sharing a joint or smoking a bomb doing a dab. In fact, it's it's a really fun, friendly space. It's usually filled with a lot of laughter. 
uh, people bumping into each other and apologizing, not getting into an argument, which is something you see when alcohol is involved. That's what makes cannabis so unique. And so for me, a business is, uh, I don't know what a standalone lounge might look like and whether or not those models will work, um, but an element of my business is a portion of that model. But it's also foundationally built off this overnight hospitality. I'm taking underutilized event space and giving it new life, new purpose, in the hopes of selling more room nights. What about the, the future of, of consumption? Are you going, at some point, are you going to be able to have mocktails and or infused foods at, at the facility, or is it a BYOB? How, how does it work with, on both those sides? I went with a bring-your-own-cannabis for uh, two reasons. Uh, one, I am the first licensed cannabis business because I am licensed with the Marijuana Enforcement Division of Colorado like a dispensary, but I chose not to touch the plant. So I'm the first licensed cannabis business to close a crowdfund campaign in Republic. Actually, onboarding right now is Start Engine with a campaign that's going to launch Q1 next year. And if you're following the crowdfund space, Start Engine has not touched licensed cannabis. They've even been a little skittish around licensees that sell branding and products in multiple states but don't touch the plant. I'm badged. And I remember in the onboarding conversations, I was very clear. This is who I am. This is what I do. And if you're not ready, I'm okay with that. But let's not proceed unless you're ready. Well, they're ready. And so we're onboarding now for the next round. For me, this is a legitimization. It legitimizes the work around the building, the structure, the business, the model. Opens that opportunity to start building an audience and giving individuals at the earliest level a chance to be part of the wealth building that is the potential, hopefully, of this space and my concept. And then, um, again, I can't stress enough: normalizing, destigmatizing, legitimizing. Four to my business. That's what the 420 Hotels is looking to do, uh, and doing it with a cash flow positive, successful 10-year-old now hotel, taking underutilized event space and giving it the most exciting and unique amenity in America. Have you had any people reach out, investors, entrepreneurs, people that are interested in seeing that either a, a franchise model or expansion? Had conversation on that topic this morning. At the core of what I'm building were real estate. And so owning the property, managing our hotel, and, and operating our brand, the three pillars of hospitality, we're an independent hotel operator and we bring those three pillars of hospitality under one roof, which is very common with independent operators, but see a path to expansion where, again, we'll own the property, we'll operate and manage the hotel, and we'll build the brand. Culture is so important. Big crisis and struggles. MSOs now are going through changes in leadership. How do you maintain that core culture that built these brands in the first place? And cannabis, again, is something when shared becomes very community very quickly. And people's relationships to brands are as important as their response or reaction to its image or its messaging or its principles as far as the, the people in charge. Uh, it comes down to the experience, the culture. We're at uh, MJ BizCon here. It's, it's day one. What are some of the um, goals you have or takeaways? Why are you here? I have not been back to MJ BizCon since it was still at the Rio. Yeah, 2016 maybe? 2016. Yeah. I've been busy yeah. at the hotel and, of course, the world through the hurdles at all of us. I'm here. This is a. have been part of this community now for over coming up on a dozen years as building brand with the normalization legalization, being engaged in policy. I'm here now for the business that I'm proud of. 
I'm proud of the operations of our core hotel, Patterson Inn. More importantly, I'm proud to be standing with a license. It's provisional. My only hurdle is build-out now. At the end of the day, everything involved with making this a reality from a policy standpoint and a licensing standpoint is done. I am a normal commercial build-out of a restaurant, of a cafe, of a bar. That's what I'm doing now. I'm not just a general contractor away who's pricing out the project right now and build out away from opening. Licensing is done. That's how far we've come in a city like Denver where cannabis policy is now normal public policy and we have licensing paths to bring in legitimized businesses like this. That's exciting. If people want to uh, learn more information, check it out, or uh, even uh, as, as a consumer reserve it, where can they get more information? Uh, we are not cannabis-friendly right now, and when I open the lounge, I like to say this. If you ever go into the Brown Palace, beautiful hotel in Denver, they have a cigar lounge. And if you want to know where you can smoke a cigar lounge at the Brown Palace, it's in the cigar lounge. You know where else you can smoke a cigar at the Brown Palace? Nowhere. <laughs> This has a lot to do with air quality. This has a lot to do with the other licensing. But Patterson Inn, our core business and hotel, is open. It's been open to the public for 10 years. So go to pattersoninn.com and come book a room. Come stay with us. The420hotels.com is the parent entity. The 420 Hotels is a Nevada C-Corp that is licensed and does own uh, license now. That is 40% of the Cannabis Hospitality Lounge, the 420 Denver, which will be our Colorado operating entity. And so the420hotels.com, pattersonin.com, startengine.com. Keep an eye out because the campaign will be up in the very near future and be a part of what we're doing here as a first-to-market uh, cannabis hospitality lounge attached to a hotel as an amenity. Interesting to follow. I think with that, though, we're going to have to roll this one up. So one thing, my guess, Chris Giardi is with 420 Hotels. Appreciate you being on the Talking Edge. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is the Talking Edge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.